I was supposed to get a wake-up call. That did not come. Mm. Should have checked into a hotel. Um, yeah, or never had a child. <laughs> that goes without saying. Good morning, and welcome to episode 318 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. We're doing a morning recording on this Wednesday, and it's an email show. Uh, so we've picked out a few emails. You sent some good emails this week. Uh, where do we want to start? Do you want to start somewhere in particular? Um, well, I guess uh, for continuity's sake, we might as well start with the John Lester ones mm. because we got a, a bunch a bunch of emails about John Lester uh, and whether he should have stayed in, in the sixth inning mm-hmm. or uh, I guess it was the top of the seventh. Um, and uh, in particular, uh, the, the claim that he should have been pinch hit for even if there was nobody on base, um, which in which case, you know, sort of the offensive advantage of getting a pinch hitter in would be pretty low. And it, in that case, you would be more making a choice about your pitcher. And people didn't think that John Lester uh, – you know, in the seventh inning is a worse bet than a, a Boston bullpen that's been kind of shaky. And so uh, do you have any more in defense of that, or do we just basically have the same old <laughs> um, idea that pitchers are uh, starting pitchers are kind of overrated the third time through the order, and in particular the things that you expect from a starting pitcher uh, are – uh, bulk innings at a fairly high level and not uh, not necessarily one inning at a super high level. And so in a lot of cases, if, if given the choice between a, uh, having a reliever for one inning, I mean, there's a reason that relievers have sh- much smaller ERAs than starters, I guess is the point, right? Yeah, right. And it's not that they are more talented. Uh, the no, opposite is the not. case. So, yeah, um, somehow those ERAs end up higher and it has to do with the fact that you're facing more batters and seeing them more times. And yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to just restate what we said or what I wrote about it. Um, I guess a couple of the emails we got were sort of tailored specifically to this situation, Boston's bullpen, the idea that uh, the Red Sox relief options right now are really shaky, uh, that that Uehara and Tazawa have both said that they're they're tired, and Breslow, you know, in, in his first a couple appearances in the series looked looked like he couldn't throw a strike or like he couldn't do anything right all of a sudden. Um, mm-hmm. And then Dubrant had pitched a couple innings a couple days earlier, and you might need him for a later game, and so then you're kind of looking at like Franklin Morales and Ryan Dempster and people that you don't really want in a high leverage spot. I guess work workman is also an option. Um, but I, I don't know. I think we're maybe underrating even, even those relief options, which I would agree are, are not the most, uh, reassuring. I, I think even so, um, I think we're kind of overestimating the amount that, uh, or overestimating the the efficiency which with which a pitcher who even one who's been pitching really well continues to pitch late in a game. And uh, I, I think if you kind of do the run the numbers behind it, 
talking specifically about the actual situation that occurred because we, we got a couple emails that, that disagreed with our take on even even the actual situation, not the hypothetical one where no one was on base. Um, I, I just think, you know, what what do you what do you if you disagree with that, what do you think the true talent is of the best relief option in that next inning? Like, you know, it, it seems like people are maybe thinking that the best relief option that Boston had there was like, I don't know, like a five ERA or something. And I, I don't think it's quite that bad. Um, so even if you, even if you just picked one of those people who were tired or not so great, I think the expected runs, if you kind of run the, the numbers as we, as we laid out the first time supports the idea of, of having a pinch hitter there. Uh, I will say that, uh, in defense of, of John Lester, and, and maybe this is, maybe this is, uh, completely crucial information or maybe it's not i don't know but in his career lester has actually not seen the traditional drop off mm-hmm. in performance in his second third and fourth times through the order yeah. now uh to some degree there's well i was going to say to some degree there's like a little bit of a um of a sample skewing there because he's more likely to make it deeper into the game when he's pitching well but he was pitching well in this case so Mm -hmm. if you believe that that's the case then that would be the case here too so in his first trip through the order um hitters have a 689 ops against him second time 722 so you see a bump there but third time is 703 and in the the few times he's gone a fourth time it's 667 so that's basically the same uh, throughout, it's a little tiny bit of a bump. So yeah, um, I, I I don't know. My my suspicion, and I don't know that I would have the guts to pull this off, and I don't know that it's even right, and I don't know that Farrell should have. But my suspicion is that the best option is probably Ryan Dempster in that situation, and that Dempster would get the reliever bump, mm-hmm. and would probably be you know pretty awesome in an inning. But uh, I could be totally wrong about that. Yeah, and I I think there was a comment maybe on the article I wrote in part about this. Uh, that said that that person thought that pitching Lackey the previous day in the eighth was a worse move. And I I don't think that was a terrible move. I, I don't know that I would have made that move because, you know, there seems to be a lot of uncertainty if you use someone in a role that he hasn't really been used in, in you know, a decade or so. Um, I would want to kind of do a trial run at a, at a non-World Series opportunity if I were thinking about doing that. But... Lackey's a good starting pitcher, and starting pitchers working in relief are even better, and so I I didn't hate that move, really. I did notice that about Lester, and I asked uh, Mitchell Lichman basically whether whether we should trust that, whether if an individual pitcher doesn't seem to have had that decrease the third time through the order, it, it means that somehow he's able to resist that or it means that it's just a a small sample or something. Uh, He said, I highly doubt that a pitcher's own times through the order numbers, even for several seasons, would have much skill associated with it. In other words, we would want to regress it almost 100% toward league average. Again, even if we have several seasons, uh, 500 innings pitch worth of data, these type of things almost never have much skill component true variation from pitcher to pitcher to them uh and he's he just thinks that the uh 
He says the batter and his teammates have recently seen the pitcher, so they do better about him. The more uh, against him, the more they see him, the more pitches they do, the more pitches they see, the better they do. I don't think a pitcher can really do anything about it. Um, so I, I don't know that there's been. It would be hard to to try to figure out if an individual pitcher were somehow immune to that just by changing pitches better than other pitches, other other pitchers, or better pitch selection or something that he does differently it's it's possible um but i don't know if i would i would buy it all right um so this question is from wes who writes i've always thought it would be fascinating if teams were allowed to claim one player off of the team that they eliminate from the playoffs for the next rounds it's somewhat along the lines of a temporary rental proposal but without consent let's also assume you aren't allowed to take starting pitchers because usage has a real cost at this stage of the season and because the choices are too easy. So for this purpose, it is interesting, by the way. I agree, Wes. That is an interesting, that's a fascinating idea. Uh, so for the purposes of this exercise, let's change Ben's last name to Charrington and allow him to pick a Tiger. Sam can be John Mazelik and pick a Dodger. Who do you guys take? An injured Miguel, a healthy Puig? Do you take the best player and plug him into the lineup, or is the chemistry problem caused by sitting an existing guy who helped reach the World Series too damaging to risk? This would be exciting, right? Even if your team loses, you've got a guy to root for in the next round, and you'll get him back at the end of the season. What uh, do you think? Do you First wanna, off, be, yeah. Uh, before you pick a, before you pick a name, does the mm-hmm. chemistry thing bother you? I mean, you wouldn't want to, for obvious reasons. You would hopefully you would try to get the guy who um, replaces your worst player, and it would mm-hmm. be sort of. A, I don't think Pete Cosma is going to be all like, ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't but, think the the team will rebel. Uh, if you about the idea of benching your worst player at that point, I don't know. They're probably pretty interested in getting a, a ring and a World Series share and all that. So, uh, and if this is like institutionalized as as a rule in baseball, then it will be expected. Yeah, I mean, there's. Ta- I mean, uh, in very few cases does it, it doesn't. In very few cases does even a, a benching in the postseason lead to a, a, you know a big deal, right? Like the A Rod thing was a huge deal this mm-hmm. is a rod batting eighth that one time was you know a huge deal but that's because it was a rod i mean people talk about like i was in in my head imagining if i replaced or if you replaced Stephen drew would that be an issue chemistry wise but you know people are already talking about like oh well should you know should Stephen drew be playing and should he have been you know should bogarts have replaced him if Whittle, middlebrooks had been hitting and so i mean they already have this conversation mm-hmm. but it's a little different when you're bringing in a uh, you know a uh, a ringer, but uh, I think it would go okay. So, all right. So, who do you who do you take? So I'm supposed to take a tiger. Do we want to pick a World Series team each? Because it'll yeah, change you're, depending. No, you're the Red Sox. On oh, the Red Sox. Okay. Um, it's it's really hard not to take Cabrera, even with with a a groin that needs surgery, um, but. Man, I don't know. What's their? I guess their their weak point right now. I don't really count Stephen Drew as a weak point, even though he's not hitting, because I think he's a pretty good player. So, uh, I guess I would take. Kind of want to take Avila. Uh huh. I like him, and you could. I yeah, like I like Ross we were, too, though. We were we were just talking. I don't know. Maybe this is would be Saber Heresy, but we were just talking about the their bullpen. You could yeah. uh, you could always take Benoit. Could do that. Could take 
yeah, could take Drew Smiley. Drew Smiley would be a pretty good pick for this series. Could take uh, you could take Prince Fielder and play him at third. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Um, yeah, Drew Smiley. If you actually used him as like a a two inning guy and a, and a lefty against the Cardinals, that would be a that'd be a pretty valuable weapon in this series. Maybe what about maybe I'd yeah, take Drew Smiley. What about um, Tory Hunter? So that you, I mean, they. I guess I guess choosing Hunter over Nava against right-handers doesn't make me that hot, but choosing Hunter over uh, Gomes actually kind of does. I mean, the defensive boost that you would get, and I think that Hunter's a better hitter, uh, particularly probably against right-handers, and so I might consider that. I mean, with Victorino, with a Victorino's status kind of up in the air, I could certainly see a, a Hunter pick, although you wouldn't know that Victorino was going to yeah. Hurt himself. Yes. I'll tell you. Before the series started. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can see the case for a, a bullpen guy because they don't, they don't really need a, a position player so much unless you unless you like really think that Stephen Drew is not Stephen Drew right now. And I still think he's probably just a pretty good player who's having a bad month. Uh, maybe they could, could use a bullpen guy more. Maybe Benoit or, or Smiley is the, is the right call. Mm-hmm. So that way you can uh, pitch it for John Lester, and you can be confident. Yeah. So I was, uh, you know, without knowing his health, I mean, the easy answer for the for the Cardinals would be to to take Hanley Ramirez and uh, you know put him at short uh, or third, frankly. Either way, uh, those are probably the two weakest spots on yeah. the club right now. Um, but you don't know his health, and so that makes it a little tricky. I would not take Juan Uribe for the same role. Although rebase fine, I might no, I wouldn't. Uh, uh, and the other issue with the Cardinals is center field, and uh, or the closest thing to an issue is center field, and that was the Dodgers' issue too. So unless you want to do the exact same thing they did and put a, a ether in center field to give back a bunch of base hits, then you don't really have a solution there. So uh, just just put Puig in center field. It, were you surprised that Puig was, that ether instead of Puig went to center? Uh, I don't know. Not particularly. I just sort of okay. accepted that, that that's what would happen. I okay. had not seen Puig before. Uh, so I don't want, I don't think I want Puig, uh, particularly over, I mean, I would rather have him, but I wouldn't want him particularly over Holiday or Beltron on a corner. Uh, I don't think Crawford can play center. Uh, so I, you know, I think I probably would just go with the injured Hanley Ramirez mm-hmm. and, I mean, it's been it's been some days. He's probably okay now. If he could play with that, with the ribs, I don't know. I don't know what ribs do. <laughs> I don't I'd know probably either. take Hanley Ramirez and get nothing. I probably would take Hanley Ramirez and he'd be on the bench the whole series and I'd be an idiot. Uh, so go one go one round further. You also mm. beat the Tampa Bay Rays. Mm. Who, who do you take from the Rays? Uh, Tampa Bay Rays. <clears throat> that's the team with Ben Zobris, Nevin Longoria, and Desmond Jennings. Jose and Molina. That team. Yeah, that team. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jose Molina. <laughs> you, so you have heard of them. Cause you, I, know you've I have, heard Jose yeah. I've Molina. written about him a few times. Um, well, again, I, I, guess, I guess I would probably take Longoria and, and play Bogarts at short. Yeah, that's, that seems like the right answer. 
that doesn't seem like there's any possible answer besides that. Uh, unless you want, unless you really want Zobrist's utility. Um, and of course, McCutcheon is like the, I mean, unless Mike Trout were somehow available, McCutcheon would be the perfect player for the Cardinals. So would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, and so now I have to get another question. Uh, how much is game one worth? Would you rather win game one in a seven game series or be down game one, but have a team that is 20 wins better? So mm. you're, you get, you get to either be equal to your opponent, but you get game one or you get to be down a game, but you're 20 games better. You are, uh, a 105 win team and they're an 85 win, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 2006 Cardinals. Uh, well, one one could do the math on this uh, and figure out which is better. My my instinct would be to take to take game one and and be the worst team. Mm-hmm. My instinct would be to as well, and I would guess that if it's a true 20 wins, that that would be the wrong call. Mm, well. Maybe we we could we could probably figure that out ourselves possibly later, not well, while we, we're recording. No, we could pause and do it, and then come back at the <laughs> magic of science and have the answer immediately. We could. But I guess but your your daughter. You, you don't sound like you're going to do that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, All right, well, well we'll move on to the next one, okay. and then if if we have time mm-hmm. at the end, mm-hmm. then we'll pause, we'll do the math, <laughs> and then we'll give an answer. I feel pretty confident that it's actually going to. Well, I don't know. Am I confident? Pretty confident that your answer was incorrect, but you chose uh, it anyway. All right. Uh, let's see. One more. One more kind of World Series themed one, and then we'll we'll go to the one I want to get to. But uh, Dustin writes, "I'm going to present you with a comment from a St. Louis fan I read today on the discussion board. I feel like it's exasperatingly misguided, but I'm not even sure where to start with a rebuttal. Take three minutes to rip it apart. I don't know if I'm going to be able to rip it apart, to be honest." Uh, sorry, um, then I will regurgitate your words as if I know something. Uh, quote, right now, Koji Ohara is working with magic, in my opinion. He's the Edward Mojica of July and August. Uh, and I actually thought about writing something along these lines and never got to it. And, uh, so, and I, I don't, I actually don't have anything to say about it because I never got to it. But, I mean, Mojica was basically... Uehara for a large part of the year in style, and he was extremely effective doing it. But uh, when I was doing that uh, Uehara piece in, I guess September, uh, there was only one pitcher who threw a higher percentage of splitters or changeups in baseball than Uehara, and it was Mujica. There was only one pitcher who threw a higher percentage of strikes in baseball, and it was Mujica. And Mujica, I think, if I'm not mistaken, has the highest had the highest strike rate in history this year mm-hmm. um and through the end of august so not just in september and august or i mean uh july and august which was the sample that they chose uh but through august through august 26th he had a 1.73 era he had 43 strikeouts and he had three walks mm-hmm. so that's basically ohara um and then he uh he walked two in september he allowed runs in six of his outings his mm-hmm. strike rate dropped to 66%, um, and he was not very good. But in the in the sample that the guy cited, which mm-hmm. I'm going to cherry pick for him because he is cherry picking and wants mm-hmm. to cherry pick, uh, 
23 innings, one run, 0.39 ERA. Although, actually, really, otherwise, no different than the rest of the year, the rest of the season before that. 13 strikeouts, one walk. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so uh, I guess I just I, I, I wanted to read that because I feel like it's worth bringing up that um, that Mujica essentially could have been our our Uehara esque hero, mm-hmm. um, and he completely fell apart. And that's what I kind of was 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 dreading. Would ha- I mean people don't have faith in guys like Mujica. And frankly, they, I don't think they had faith in guys like Uhara until he just kept doing it. And so um, the narrative for either one could have gone the other way in probably fairly easily. Do you have, a, do you have any idea why Mojica sucks now? Uh, from what I've heard, he's just tired. He just uh-huh. got really fatigued at the end of the year. Um, I haven't looked to see what, what that did to his stuff, whether he started throwing less hard or anything but that was that was certain it's sort of the the same story as shelby miller it's just guy who was really effective all season and then ran out of gas down the stretch and had some not so good outings and now now the cardinals won't (laughs) won't use him under any circumstances um but yeah i mean you can you could do this with a lot of relievers i'm sure you could you could find a stretch that's similar. I mean, I mean, Mujica is not a strikeout guy like Guajara is. Um, so if you want to say that he's he's less dominant in that sense and he relies more on his defense and everything, you could you could say that. Um, but in in terms of who was actually more effective and the actual results, pretty pretty equivalent. Yeah. Um, do you have any? theories on why the Cardinals are basically playing with a 23-man roster? It's uh, it's it's strange. As, a, as opposed to having two guys they actually have faith in yeah, for those spots or two guys conceivably use. Yeah, and I, and I don't know who those guys would be necessarily, but if they... I mean, assuming that Mujica and Miller are on the roster for, for mop-up innings, I guess, right? I mean, that that seems to be their only purpose. They're certainly not being used in any high leverage spots. They're at this point not being used in any spots. So you figure maybe they're there to just soak up an inning if if there's a blowout or something, and you and you don't want to. But I mean, yeah, it's not uncommon. I mean, it's every team has a couple guys that mm-hmm. they don't use, right? I mean, the, I think the Tigers last year. I forget. Never. There were a couple guys the Tigers had that they never used. I remember seeing that they used like something like 21 players in the World Series or something like that. Um, and if they weren't, if Mujica and Miller were, let's say, uh, Keith Butler and John Gast, uh, <laughs> nobody would be like, "Wow, why are those guys on the roster if they're not going to use them?" Right. The, it's the 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 strangeness is that their mop up guys are guys who were formerly good, so we find it yes. kind of focus on them and think that is surely he's a better option. And Miller in particular, you know, when we talked about how the Red Sox against strike throwers basically turn into a league average offense, Shelby Miller, somebody pointed out in the comments, Shelby Miller was the, the preeminent strike zone starting pitcher in baseball this year. He, he completely pounded the strike zone. And so you would imagine that he that that if he has anything left, like this is the assignment that was just made for him, like mm-hmm. it was built for him, um, and so he, I mean, it's it's hard for us to imagine that he can really just have nothing whatsoever left, mm-hmm. and um, 
you, I guess you, you assume that, I mean, the Cardinals know a lot more than we do. They get to see him throw every, every day or every couple days. They, mm-hmm. they might know if there's actually an injury there that, that hasn't been uh, revealed, which would be if, uh, not, not the least bit surprising to us at this point. But if, if there is an injury, then it would surprise me that, that he's on the roster. Cause at that point you're not going to pitch him under any circumstances. So you might as well just, you know, get your, your best mediocre reliever who spent the season in triple a or was an up and down guy or whatever, just for, just for those mop up innings. Cause you're not going to well, risk Miller hurting himself worse. Depend, yeah. It depends what the injury is. I mean, if it's, if it's dead arm, then that yeah. might, you might have him pitch through that, even though that might be something that in the regular season, you would have him take two turns through the rotation off. I mean, Buckhold seems pretty obviously physically compromised and they pitched him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if it were blisters, you might keep him on the roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't know. I mean, the, it's quite possible. I guess. The, I guess all I'm saying is that it's quite possible that uh, that in a world where where the Cardinals, uh, you know, could tell us the truth no matter what, it's quite possible that in one sentence they could completely quiet any any questions we have. It might be as simple as one sentence that they know that we don't know. It's hard to know. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. So, uh, all right. So then, last question uh, is from Mark, um, who wrote about a uh, link that Matt Myers of ESPN Insider um, tweeted out yesterday. It's a, it's an old link. It's a year and a half old, um, but it's about the uh, a solution for uh, fixing the draft so that teams don't have an incentive to tank, and. So this was a solution that was presented at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference in March 2012, um, and it's uh, by a researcher named Adam Gold. And Gold's idea is that uh, instead of giving the, the, the first pick to the team with the worst record, you give the first pick to the team that wins the most games after being eliminated. So if, uh, for instance, the, well, I don't, I, I probably should have, look this up but um like let's say the astros got eliminated on august 1st and let's say the marlins got eliminated on august 16th and the astros won you know 26 games after that and the marlins won 22 games after that then the astros would get the first pick still marlins would get the second pick still um but it wouldn't necessarily just go down to their final record Mm-hmm. That all makes sense, right? You would mm-hmm. it would both it would both skew toward the worst teams, but also give teams incentive to keep winning uh, until the last day of the season. Mm-hmm. And so this gets to a um, kind of a, I think a fundamental problem that like economists point out about the draft um, that it incentivizes losing, and you always want to incentivize winning. And so like the kind of holy grail is to find a draft solution that both incentivizes winning while also rewarding the worst teams because the, the the ultimate goal i guess the ultimate goal is to incentivize winning but the intermediate goal for the league is to have some sort of competitive balance so that bad teams are not horribly bad forever mm-hmm. so um first off what do you think of this solution for baseball is does it apply to baseball uh, I think so. I like the, I'd like to know what the numbers are in baseball and maybe one of us will, will research that at some point. Uh, this Adam Gold guy said that, that in basketball, uh, in the last seven seasons or so, 
Teams that missed the playoffs won 32% of their games after they were mathematically eliminated compared to 37.5 beforehand. Um, so not a not an enormous difference, but probably a significant difference, I would guess, in, in that sort of sample. Unless you're, yeah, unless those teams have just all traded away, and I don't, it, I don't get the feeling that basketball teams trade like baseball teams mm. trade in July. So unless they're trading a lot of significant parts away, that is a big difference. Thirty-two and thirty-seven percent is kind of a huge difference over a big sample. Uh huh. So I'd like to know what the numbers are in baseball, um, just to to see how big a problem this is, but. Yeah, I think it's generally a good idea. As I was running it, I, I wondered I wondered whether there was any potential for the tanking to be just time shifted a little bit. Yeah. Whether whether you would then tank in order to become eliminated earlier, I guess that's more problematic, probably, um, mm-hmm. because you you wouldn't want to look like you're losing intentionally ever really but especially when you're still theoretically in it although i mean if you're a team like the astros i don't know that it makes any difference I, it, it's not like anyone ever thought that they were still in it at any point on opening day so i i guess if you if you tank and lose more early in the season maybe you lose more revenue maybe fewer people come to the park down the stretch maybe fewer people watch you on tv that could be a concern, but I could still see a, a team like the Astros or, or the Marlins or, you know, doing whatever they would do after being eliminated before they were eliminated just to get eliminated sooner. Um, so that's possible. And then you'd have people, you don't want people rooting for their teams to lose after they've been eliminated. You don't want them to root for elimination either. Um, I guess... Is there is there potential for not the worst team to be eliminated earlier because of the division they're in? Or I guess yeah, if it, that, so that is tricky with baseball. Yeah. Um, although I guess if it's if it's the wild card, then you'd still kind of everyone is still on the same. Well, even so, I, yeah, there's some potential there for teams that are in certain divisions to be eliminated sooner and not actually be the worst team and. Uh, so that kind of complicates things. And then um, and I guess you could kind of make the case that tanking could be productive in the long term if the result is that you you play rookies in September or, you know, you, you like, yeah, if you give more time to people who aren't ready right now but are going to be the the future of your franchise and you call them up when rosters expand and you play them above some some impending free agent veteran because you d- don't need to win right now and and it's it's tanking in the short term but it's possibly beneficial in the long term to get those guys mm-hmm. some at bats and maybe yep. you'd have you'd have some disincentive to do that because you're trying to win in the current season yeah i actually i think that uh one of the big problems is that it would discourage trading of veterans in july and besides the fact that that is a long term that that does more to provide competitive balance long term than than even the draft maybe uh i think that's something that wants to be encouraged but but also i think it's sort of nice the idea that baseball funnels its best players uh into october so that you have you know better october teams and 
um, and better pennant race teams and fewer theoretically fewer teams playing, you know, bad players or, or injured players in, in September and October. So I actually would want those players to continue to be traded. And if, if the Astros season quote unquote season doesn't really even start until they get eliminated and they want to actually be bad at the beginning and good after that, then they wouldn't have as much incentive to trade those players. So that would bother me. Um, and also, yeah, I think that it's, it is probably worth asking whether this is an issue at all in baseball. Um, I think that, um, so I have two ideas for, for, for how to, to, to maybe, uh, handle this. One is, um, one is very simple and I haven't really thought it through, but it's, it's very simple. And it's simply, if you get the first pick in the draft that the next year you can't have higher than the fifth pick. And, uh, so, I mean, it, the first pick is, is an, is an outrageously lopsided advantage. The rest of the picks are all just sort of, you know, they're fairly well distributed. Um, and you know, that it's better to have the second than the 20th and all that. But I mean, the first pick is a completely whole different thing. And it does seem like incentivizing a team to get a whole generation of number one picks Mm-hmm. creates situations like the Astros that I personally like, but most people don't seem to like. So, uh, and also, I don't know, it, it just, it feels like a shortcut, right? It, mm-hmm. it I, ironically, considering it takes many years of, of suffering, but it does feel <laughs> like a little bit of a shortcut to get mm-hmm. three number one picks in a row. Yes. Um, so that's one idea. And maybe it's even more than that. Maybe it's, uh, if you get the number one pick, you can't draft in the top 15 the next year. Or maybe if you get the number one pick, you can't draw, draft in the top five. And if you get the second pick, you can't draft in the top six. And I don't know, you have some sort of like year to year limits in how much ta- draft talent you can actually pile up. Because you can still, if you're bad but trying, then and you're doing a somewhat competent job, then you're you shouldn't be probably getting top three picks year after year. Um, if you're bad and not trying and doing a competent job, then you will. And if you're bad and trying, but doing an incompetent job, then you probably will. And I don't feel like rewarding you either. If you're just bad and Mm -hmm. so your team sucks that bad every year, I don't feel like you're a good steward for these high draft picks. So, uh, some sort of a, a multi-year, uh, draft max, uh, draft cap basically, Mm -hmm in any three year period or something like that. The second one I have, and I think that this handles the incentives issue um, uh, more directly than the first idea is simply this. Um, the worst team in baseball gets the 30th pick. The second worst team gets the first pick. And so in this way you are accomplishing exactly what you want to accomplish. You're providing the worst teams with the highest picks and the best teams with the lowest picks for competitive balance. But you are also, making it extremely dangerous to be that bad. And I don't think any team that is conceivably thinking about tanking to get a higher draft pick would want to risk the scenario where they go 4-26 and 26 in September mm-hmm. and get the 30th pick instead of the first. So mm-hmm. every team every team that could conceivably be tanking would have an incentive to play for at least you know, uh, to, to be, well, you, you just couldn't play for that last pick. It would be too, it would be too close. If there was some scenario where a team like even the Astros, it wasn't obvious until the last, it wasn't totally obvious until the last two weeks when they lost, what did they lose? 15 in a row that they would necessarily get that pick. Um, 
I mean, you'd have to have a season where a team was like the the 2003 Tigers probably ran away with that pick so badly that that you <laughs> right. could see you could maybe see a race for 29 mm-hmm. uh, between like the 29, 28th, and 27th teams. But really, it would be it would be it would be unknown. It would be too hard to to call. So I'm going with that. I'm standing behind that as the as the way to fix the draft if it's a problem, which it okay. probably isn't. Uh, yeah, I like that. I tend to think that, I don't know if it's a big problem, but I tend to think there's something to it. But we should we should find out. We should do some research on that. Um, okay. Okay. So we're done. What, what uh, was the other thing we were going to, oh, we were going to find out if it 80. Uh, yes. So let's pause. I, I have time. I'll, okay. I'll do it and I'll, Pausing I'll come back. And... Okay. So we're back and we have figured out that a team with a 20 win edge uh, on another team will win a one-game head-to-head matchup 62.5% of the time. So in exchange for giving up one game in the series, you get a basically a 62 to 38 edge in the other games. Now, I don't actually know how to do math, and so there might be a huge flaw with what I'm going to do next, but it seems to me that if you have a uh, what is essentially a 24-point lead, 24 percentage point advantage in six games then that adds up to 144 points of probability advantage, which you're getting in exchange for a 100-point disadvantage in a single game. So over the course of seven games, you would have the edge if you were the 20-win team. The problem is that the World Series doesn't go seven games. It only can go seven games. So if you were going to play all seven, I would feel confident that over enough simulations— you would win more games, but a lot of those games might be in series that you lose three to four. So I'm not sure that it actually holds up for the likelihood of winning an individual mm-hmm. series. Um, and so for that, because, uh, you know, if the game if the series only goes five games, then, you know, you would only have the edge in four mm-hmm. of those games. Uh, so uh, so I, I'm going to have Zachary <laughs> Levine tell me the answer to that, and we'll, we'll get back tomorrow with that. But it does seem like most series are going to go uh, in this scenario. Most series would go uh, probably long enough that I would think the 20-win 20, 20 team has an edge. So the, the original question was how many wins uh, is one game worth? Um, and to you, if you keep going backwards uh, until you get basically uh, you know, an equivalent, um, it would be like something like 99 wins to 85 wins would be about worth giving up the one game or not worth giving it like it's right that that the, where it could go either way so basically the one game is worth about 15 or 14 wins of, mm-hmm. of true talent so that's the answer if my math is anywhere okay close to correct. uh enjoy game six everyone <laughs>